Amen, 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 amen. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. That's such a, a wonderful worship phrase that just continues to remove the focus off of us onto the awesomeness of who God is. How great and how wonderful and how majestic God is. Um, and it's good to be able to reflect on, blessed be the name of the Lord. See, when, when you're going through some difficulties, uh, and there's trials, and there's circumstances, and there's this brokenness, and there's weakness, and there's this confusion, uh, to, to step back from all of those things and say, blessed be the name of the Lord. There's a comfort in the peace when you know your God in such a way that through the midst of all the adversity, through the midst of all the tragedy, through the midst of all the heartbreak, through the midst of all the fallenness that this world has to offer, when you know your God and you can step back and say, blessed be the name of the Lord. It's a good thing to be able to know your God in that way. See, they, see your, your, your God wants you to, to know him intimately in such a way where you can step back and say, uh, blessed be the name of the Lord, where you can reflect and you remember all the good that God has done for you. Excuse me for being on my soapbox this morning, but I, I've got a praise in my spirit this morning because my God has been good. See, when I, when I think back on the goodness of Jesus and all that he's done for me and my soul cries out hallelujah see see i'm so glad that my god has been good to me see i'm so glad that my god sent jesus and wrapped himself in flesh and then walked a perfect life and died a perfect death i'm so glad that they nailed him high on that old rugged cross i'm so glad that they stretched him wide on that old rugged cross i'm so glad that he hung his head from that old rugged cloth and that he died for me and that he gave his life for me. I'm so glad because I can look back and I see the hand of God all over my life. I don't know about you, but this morning, I want to worship him because he's good. I want to worship him because he's great. And I can step back from all the nonsense that the world has to offer. And I say, blessed be the name of the Lord. Because he's good. And he's worthy to be praised. Do you believe that this morning? That God is worthy to be praised. Let's stand and, and, and read the word of God this morning as we dive into his word and see what it has to say for us. This morning, uh, if you would open your Bibles to Exodus chapter 13, uh, verses 17 and 18. Exodus 13, verses 17 and 18. When you get there, say amen. 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 As is our custom, let's read. I'll start us off, and then you guys go ahead and join in and finish. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines. Keep reading. Stop there. We good. We good. It's not a long text this morning. It's a, it's a short text, but it's a lot there. So if you will, uh, the title of this sermon today, The Way of the Wilderness, Trusting God in a Wandering Season. Trusting God in a Wandering Season. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father God, we thank you for your word. Uh, we thank you that your word is sufficient for us and that it, uh, it gives us everything that we need for life and godliness and that we can trust in your word, that we can learn from your word, we can be provoked by your word, we can be comforted by your word, we can be encouraged by your word. And so God, through that word, I pray that you would provide us 
with the clarity uh, that comes from it, that you would uh, give to us the power of understanding what your word has to say and that might instruct us as we move forward in our daily lives to become more and more like you, Jesus. And so, God, I pray this day that you would move me out of the way and that people would see Jesus and all that he is uh, and that we would submit ourselves to worship you wholly uh, and in truth. And so, God, we pray that this day uh, under one voice, under one spirit, uh, under one God, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 You may be seated. <coughs> Exodus 13, 17 and, and, and 18. Um, so before we jump in, just by way of background, um, just so we know how we've gotten here, um, the end of Genesis uh, ends with Joseph having uh, gathered all of uh, his family uh, at that time, his father and all his brothers to himself in Egypt where he was second in command. Only Pharaoh was above him. The Lord had given him significant favor in the land. Uh, and so all of his family now was with him in the land of Goshen uh, in Egypt. And so uh, they're dwelling there. Joseph dies uh, as we enter into uh, the end of uh, for the transition from uh, Genesis 50 and Exodus 1. Joseph dies. Um, the Pharaoh dies. A new Pharaoh is raised up. Uh, and this new Pharaoh doesn't know Joseph. Uh, he, he, doesn't, he doesn't know anything about Joseph, what Joseph has done. Uh, he could care less. This Pharaoh looks up and he sees all of these Hebrew people. Uh, and and he, gets a little, he gets a little shook. And he says, man, they outnumber us. So if we go to war, if something happens, this people might rise up against us because they are more than us. And so he says, let's, let's oppress this people. Let's bring them under our subjection. Let's make them slaves. Uh, and he does just that. He subjects this people into oppressive slavery uh, and brings them under the subjection of the Egyptians. Uh, and so the people cry out to God. Uh, and so that's chapter one. Chapter two, Moses is born. Uh, chapter three, Moses uh, has, chapter two, uh, Moses has the, uh, he's born, has to flee the land because uh, he murders a couple of Egyptians. Chapter three, God calls Moses prophetic tells him to go back to Egypt uh, to uh, be the, the leader, uh, the spearhead, this process of redeeming the people of Israel uh, out. Uh, chapter 4, he goes back with signs and wonders from God powerfully to Egypt before Pharaoh. Chapter 5, Pharaoh uh, is annoyed because he's like, I don't know your God. Uh, and if, you and your, if you've got enough time to bring this God to me and the people are talking about this God, that means they don't have enough work to do. So he gives them more work to do and, and, and makes their load even heavier, right? Uh, chapter 6, God sees that, promises deliverance. Chapter 7 through 12 are the plagues where God turns uh, the heat up on Pharaoh and the Egyptians and lets them know that he means business uh, and that he indeed is God over the universe. And so he goes uh, and proceeds to turn uh, water into blood. He brings frogs and gnats and flies, uh, kills and wipes out the Egyptian livestock. He brings boils, hail, locusts, darkness, and then he tops it off by saying, I'm going to have a, a night where I send the death angel and those who have not uh, wiped the blood of a pure lamb over the doorposts, I will go in and kill their firstborn just to let them know I mean business. Uh, and the Bible says that never was there a cry like that in Egypt before. Every household was mourning the death of a firstborn. Uh, and so God does all of this, this miraculous work and sign, uh, and Pharaoh proceeds to say, okay, I give up, I'm done, y'all get out, right? And so Moses, before they left, said, on your way out, ask the Egyptians for all of their good stuff. So the Egyptians, after kicking them out, give them all their fine clothes, gold, silver, jewelry, everything that was good and valuable, they basically plundered the Egyptians on their way out. Right? And so we find ourselves here in chapter 13 in, the, in a transition passage of sorts uh, between uh, their deliverance from bondage, uh, but pre their crossing through the Red Sea, right? And so we find ourselves here, uh, and which brings me to my first point, God's leading is personal. God's leading is personal. Verse 17, when Pharaoh 
let the people go. See, I, I, I like this when the Bible says, when Pharaoh let the people go. Because uh, previous to this in chapter 13, on four different occasions, God tells the Israelites as they were consecrating their firstborns to remember that day. He wanted them to remember that Passover day so they could be reminded of what God had done and that it would move them towards faithfulness to God because he says to them over and over and over and over again, by a strong hand, the Lord has brought you out of Egypt. And so he wants to let them know that, that you, when, when we get to the promised land, when you remember this day, I want you to remember the fact that there was nothing that you did by yourself to bring you out of bondage. It wasn't by Pharaoh's hand. It wasn't by Moses' hand. It wasn't by anything that you did or had to offer. He says, by the strong hand of the Lord you were brought out of bondage. And not only do I want you to remember that it was by a strong hand that I personally did it, but I want you to know that it took power from me to do it, which means don't just think because, uh, because it's not hard for me to do. Is there anything hard or difficult? Is there anything difficult for God? No, there's not. But just because it's not difficult doesn't mean it doesn't take power from God to do it. And so God wants to remind them and says, listen, listen, when you get to the land, uh, I want you to know that I'm so personal that I acted on your behalf and I'm the one that redeemed you out of bondage. God's leading is personal. And then it goes on to say, God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. Uh, what's great about this is that God took an God took a ownership of the direction that he was leading them in. And so, so he, he, they, he, he redeemed them from bondage in Egypt. He calls them out. He lets them know there's a promised land that I'm going to be moving you towards. But, but he doesn't just leave them there to get to the land on their own. God takes significant uh, responsibility for the route that they will take in getting to the promised land. This is going to be key as we talk about uh, the purposefulness of, of God's leading. But, but, but God is so personal that, that when he re redeems them from bondage, as he moves them to where he wants them to go, he takes the responsibility of leading them himself. The Bible said that he was a, 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 a fire at night and a, a pillar of cloud by day, and, and he was with them, and he led them, and they followed God, and so he wants them to know, as I, as I bring you into this new relationship with me, just know that I'm going to lead you. See, this people, they were entering into a new relationship with God. They, they had been in Egypt for over 400 years, and they were influenced by Egyptian culture. They were influenced by Egyptian idolatry. They were influenced by Egyptians' uh, thought of what sex was and immorality. And they were, they were uh, influenced by the Egyptians on all fronts. And God now is removing them from that bondage. And he says, he says in this new relationship that we're about to establish together, you need to know that I'm the one doing the leading. So it says God did not lead them the way of the Philistines, the way of the Philistines was a, a direct route from Egypt to Canaan, the shortest route from Egypt to the promised land. Uh, Egypt is on the northeastern uh, coast of, of Africa, right underneath the Mediterranean Sea. Uh, the Canaan, uh, Canaan, the promised land, was on the eastern seaboard of the Mediterranean. It's a direct route, would have only taken them a couple of days, but the Bible says that he didn't take them the shortest route. He didn't take them the most direct route. He didn't take them the easiest route, he took them a different way. God's leading is, is, is it personal. Uh, but, but, but notice why, no, notice why he doesn't lead them that way. Look at verse, uh, rest, the, the end of verse 17. It says, for God said, lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. See, this is how personal God is. Not, not only is God personal enough to, to redeem you, he, not only is he personal enough to, to take ownership of the direction that you'll take in getting to where he's called you to go, but he's so personal that he knows everything that he needs to know about you so that he knows which way is best for you to take. He, 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 he says, he says, 
if I take them the route of the Philistines, if I take them the easy route, if I take them the short route, he, he said, they'll be exposed to things that they're not ready for yet. And, 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 and I don't want to expose them prematurely. Now, it doesn't mean he's, he's never going to expose them to anything. But what he says is, I know that this people has just come from slavery. S- slavery is all they know. They're not warriors. They're not fighters. They're timid people. They're a scared people. They're a weak people. And they're not ready to be on their own to face the difficulties and the hostilities of who and what and where may be out there. And because I love them so much, I'm going to choose what I expose them to in such a way that keeps them running back to me and not back to the bondage that they came from. He says, for uh, lest the people change their, their minds when they see war, when they see the difficulties. I don't want them to change their minds. I don't want the exposure of war and people groups who are going to fight for their land to so break them that they'd be more willing to go back to the comforts of slavery than to walk with me. Lest the people change their minds. He knew what they couldn't handle. He knew what was too emotionally stressful for them. He knew what would break them. He knew what their fears were, what their fears were. Uh, the beauty of this is, is when we look at that and we see that God redirected them to a longer route, not, not merely because it was a long way around, but because he was trying to keep them from something harmful. The beauty in that principle says that God, God proportions his people's trials to their strengths. God proportions his people's trials to their strengths. God, God would rather deal with, with the messiness of your character. He'd rather deal with the, 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 the messiness of trying to form your relationships. He'd rather deal with the messiness of trying to renew your mind than just let you run back into the bondage of slavery. God, God is so personal and he cares and he loves so much that he said, I, I'd rather spend long, hard, difficult years with you than just let you run back into bondage. God's leading is personal. Brings me to my next point. God's leading is purposeful. God's leading is purposeful. Look at verse 18. But God led the people around by the way of the wilderness towards the Red Sea. Now, now in God bringing them into the wilderness, there, there was a purposefulness of why God did that. See, uh, when they got to the promised land, uh, the point of them being there was in concert with this idea of God redeeming them as a people for himself. Right? He told them that on numerous occasions, you will be my people and I will be your God. And I'm going to give you this land, and the role that they were to play was to be witnesses uh, to who God was, what God was like. They were supposed to be a light to the nations. Now, in order for them to be a light to the nations, once they got to the land, they had to know who God was. And not only did they know, have to know who God was, they needed, they needed to know God's expectations of them when they got into the land. See, see, their, their, their living in the land was a conditional promise, right? God conditioned it upon their obedience. He said, if you don't keep my commandments, if you don't follow my laws, then this land will spit you out. And on numerous occasions, they got spat out of the land because of their lack of obedience. But the, there was a purposefulness. There was an end goal, and the end goal wasn't the land itself. The end goal was the, the type of people that God wanted them to be when they got to the land. And so there was a purposefulness with which God moved them through the wilderness. God, God had to take that time of isolation and, and wandering to make them a holy people. He, he's, he's, he said, I, I need time with you where there's no distractions. I, I, I need time with you where they, I, I'm the only influence in your life. He, he said, I, I need time with you where I can be the only voice speaking into your soul and into your character. I need time with you to make you holy. 
to, 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 be, to be set apart, to be, that, that word means to, to be holy, W-H-O-O, W-H-O-L-L-Y, to be holy, set apart for God, which means, that word holy means in every way, to be set apart for God in every way, not just in life, but also in service and, and character. God said, I need time with you by yourself, just with me in the wilderness, no distractions, so that I can make you holy. God's leading was a purposeful leading. Deuteronomy 8.2 says, it says, And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness. He says, he says that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart. Whether you would keep his commandments or not. See, see there's, a, there's a purposefulness for the wanderings. It, there's a purpleness for those seasons of wanderings and difficulties and, and trials that we face. He says, I want to test your heart. He's, I want to test your heart to see where you are. Right? See, it's easy when, when you look at the, the, the God sending the plagues. Uh, and this people, this, this group of people, they, they rejoice exceedingly as they're marching out of Egypt because they know they've been freed from bondage. The only thing they've known. They don't even know what freedom is like. They're experiencing this for the first time, but they're excited. They're overjoyed. And then after this passage, we get to the Red Sea where God uh, splits the waters in half, and they walk across on dry land, and they see the wonders and the power of God, and they rejoice at seeing their enemies that were in pursuit of them be wiped out. And and so when things are going good, when it's time to celebrate, it's easy to lift your hands and worship God. But he said, when I get you alone all by yourself, and things aren't going the way that you thought they would go, when you have to depend on me, when you have to wait on me, when you have to trust me, I want to see where your heart is. He said, I'm going to test you to see what's in your heart. But, but what does he want to see in your heart? It says, it says, to see whether you keep his commandments. No, notice, notice that your obedience to God is directly tied to your response to a trial. Your obedience to God is tied to your response during trials. See, there's, there's a purposefulness. God uses those wandering seasons when you're not confident, when you're unsure, when you don't know what decision to make, you don't know where to go, when, when, when you have to wait on God, even if it's something he promised you, but you've got to wait on God. He, he says, he says I, I want to see where your heart is. He says, but in order to see where your heart is, you've got to know me, and you've got to know my character. Because if, if you don't know me, and you don't know my character, then, then you're always going to look for a way out. Yeah. Yeah. See, see when, you, when you get into those wandering seasons, when you get into those trials and those difficulties, and you face all of those circumstances, see, the only thing that helps is knowing the character of God. The only thing that helps. There was a time when me and my wife were, were, were newly married, early mar- married, and we didn't have a ton of money. Man, we didn't have no money. Uh, I mean, it was just one of those seasons, and, and my wife was not used to that, right? My wife was not used to that at all. And so we had, we had, some, we had some struggles because I grew up poor. So I was used to not having no money. I, I, was, I mean, I was like, I was like, shoot, man, <laughs> we good. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, girl, you tripping? Shoot, we got we got a house to live in. We got we we all right. I mean, I remember days. I mean, using tw- save a lot was our best friend, you know. And, but but my wife was my wife didn't grow up like that, and so she she wrestled with not having that security in our finances, uh, situationally, right? And so. You know, I mean, there, there were times, especially with money stuff, whenever there was a money issue, my, my wife, she'll tell you, she used to spiral. I mean, she used to go down quickly. It used to be like, it used to be a lot of uh, complaining and just spiral, and she would just go down. I mean, down. Now, my fellas, just a side note, 
That's not a good thing. Get your finances in order. Right. So I'm telling the story, but keep in mind, like I was at fault in a lot of ways. Get your stuff together. Finish school if you need to finish school. Get your finances in order. And don't put unnecessary stress on your wife to have to think about if the light's going to get paid, if y'all going to have food to eat. Take care of your business. All right, I'm off my soapbox. All right, so, so, you know, my wife used to spy. We used to have conversations all the time. And, and man, it got to a point one day we were laying in the bed, and, and I, was like, I was like, babe, I was like, because, uh, you know, she felt like that, 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 you know, God would just let the bottom fall out on us and that she would have to run back to her parents and she would be a failure. We'd be left homeless and all of those different things. And one day I had to say to her, I, I said, babe, I said, I, I want you to spend some time and get to know your God and get to know what, what his character is like. Because when you get to know what God's character is like, there, there's, there's some stability in knowing that your God is with you and that your God provides and that your God hears. And, and I had forgot about this conversation. I remember she was sharing it with somebody and she brought it to mind. And, and I remember having that conversation. And, and, and from that point forward, as she got to know God, I mean, that don't mean issues stop happening. That don't mean things don't come up. But her resolve in the face of difficulties, because she's gotten to know her God, allows her to stand firm in trusting him to lead, right? And so that's what he's calling his people to trust him and to get to know his character and to use these wanderings in this wilderness as a time of growth and as a time of formation and as a time of maturity so that when they get to where he's called them to go, they'll be prepared, right? So God's, God's leading is personal. God's leading is purposeful. And, and in that purposeful leading, when we get into our wandering seasons, uh, those wandering experiences are a unique part of Christian growth, right? And so there's, there's a number of key lessons that we can learn through Israel's wanderings and the time that God had uh, them there. And so I, I just want to share a few uh, practical points on, on the importance of wandering, the importance of uh, of what it means when God leads you into a wilderness season, a wilderness wandering season. Keep in mind that God led them there. It says God did not lead them uh, the route uh, up, uh, the short route up to Canaan. He says God led them around by the way of the wilderness. So God led them into the wilderness, not haphazardly. God had a purpose. He had a plan. Uh, he had a, a, a destination for them to get to, but he led them around to the wilderness. Here's a number of things we can learn as we look at uh, uh, Israel's experience with God in the wilderness. Number one, God is prioritized with what we will become. God is prioritized with what we will become they 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 went they went to the wandering into the wilderness and what should have taken them a couple of weeks ended up taking them 40 years and and they're they're following God and uh they're they're waiting on God and they get down to Mount Sinai and and you know they're expecting to make their way to the promised land and, and they get stuck there for a little while and and they're they're like man what's going on like I thought we was going to the promised land because God had promised them this land. So it wasn't like they, like they were pulling something out of thin air. God promised them this land. And so uh, they, they, began to, they, they began to question God, like, wh- what's taking so long? Like, like, what, like, what you pro- like, where are we going? Like, why can't we just hurry up and get there? Right? One, one of the things that we realize in, in, in God prioritizing what we will be is that that even though God led them into the land and he was going to take them to the promised land, God was not in a hurry. <laughs> see, see, the, the difficulty sometimes is as we think that the minute that we get into a situation, the minute we get into some wanderings where we're unsure, uh, where we're where we're. Uh, waiting on God, we have to be dependent on God. When a minute we come against some difficult circumstances, our immediate response is that we're not supposed to get here. We're not supposed to be here. Hurry up and get out. That's our tendency. Our tendency says, I'm, never, I'm not supposed to be in this season. I'm, I'm not supposed to be wandering. 
right? Now, now, if God's wandering, if God moving us to the wandering wasn't purposeful, if God didn't take us into the wilderness, I could see that being the case. But if God leads you into the wilderness, there is a purposefulness with why he has you there. But a lot of times we don't see that. We, we have our blinders on and we, we see the difficulties, we see the trials, and our immediate response is, how do I get out of this? And when we don't see the wanderings in the wilderness as God purposefully putting us there uh, so for, for us to learn and develop and get something out of it, then we justify uh, moving too quickly and trying to grab hold of something that God's called us to that we're not ready for yet. See, his, his, his first concern wasn't with how fast the people got to the promised land. His concern was what type of people will they be when they get there. What type of people will you be when you get there? Paul, Paul talks about this uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1 through 13. He, he, he warns us and says... This is what happened to the Israelites. They got into the wilderness. They didn't see it as purposeful wandering. And because they didn't see it as purposeful wandering, they fell into some areas of sin, right? He says, he says one of those was idolatry, right? They didn't see it as purposeful. They didn't utilize that time to get to know God and his character and get to just be with God and, and love God and worship God, so they fell into idolatry. And because they fell into idolatry, they fell into sexual immorality, but, but, but probably the biggest, the biggest sin that they fell into that we don't talk about too often is grumbling. See, this, 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 this people was a complaining people. This, 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 this people, this, this people was a, 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 a thankless people. You know, they, they, they saw God bring them out of slavery. They saw God split the Red Sea. Um, and yet each chapter during their wilderness experience, you, you probably can't find me a chapter from Exodus through Deuteronomy that doesn't talk about their grumbling and complaining. See, God has them in this wilderness period. He has them in this, in this time so that they can form and they can get to know him and they can grow spiritually. And all they can do is complain. They complain about their hardships. They complain about the lack of meat. They complain about being stuck in the desert, the discomfort of it all. They complain about having to face a, a giant people before they go into the land. They complain about even wanting to go back to Egypt. Say, so I'd rather go back in Egypt. At least I know what to expect. They, they said, we, we had it better when we were slaves. They complained a lot about Moses and Aaron. They complained about their leadership. They, they, thought, they thought Moses and Aaron were the reason that Korah and his crew got trashed by God. They, they, they complained because they had a lack of water. They complained because they thought God and Moses brought them to the desert to die. They were a complaining people. But see, the, the problem isn't with questioning God in and of itself, because the psalmist does that often, right? He says, he says, how long, O Lord? He says that a lot of times. How long, how long, God, you gonna let this keep happening? How long you gonna let them keep doing this to me? When you gonna take them out? The issue ain't questioning with questioning God in and of itself. See, the problem is when we settle our hearts in defiance against God. When we, when we, when we dig our heels in, against God and, and refuse to move from our stance against God. It's, it's when we trade humility for a sense of demanding and accusations against God. Yeah. 
He says, don't, don't be a, a grumbling people. Right. Number two, God always provides. Right. So, so, so again, they, they see this. They see the power of God. I mean, they see it firsthand. They see all of these, they see all of these plagues happen. All these plagues happen. Then, then they get the privilege of seeing water split in half. I mean, sp- split in half. I mean, water split in half. <laughs> and then they walk across on dry land. Not muddy land. Not soggy land. On dry land. So, so they, they see firsthand the power of God. And then they get to the wilderness, and, and they so though we've seen this power, we still don't believe God going to feed us. We, we, we ain't been in the wilderness that long. I mean, it, was only a, it wasn't that long ago that we saw God split the sea and us walk across on dry land and him close it up over our enemies. And we see all of that, and we, we, we dare to doubt that he's going to provide. See, our, our tendency in, in not thinking that God is going to provide is we get this tunnel vision and we forget God's track record. And, and in the moment of difficulty, in a moment of hardship, we forget everything that God has done. We forget what he did last week and yesterday and a few hours before because we don't think in our heart of hearts, we don't think we should have to experience anything difficult. And the moment something difficult happens, we say, God, you don't love us. I know you did that, but that was before. If you really love me, you wouldn't let this happen right now. In our heart of hearts, that's what we believe. We believe that we don't have to deal with any difficulty. We don't have to deal with any trials. We don't have to wait on God. We don't have to depend on God. Because God, if you loved us, you wouldn't let anything bad happen to us. So so he says, don't forget God's track record. Don't don't be so short-sighted and so narrow-minded that you can't see the power and glory and hand of God in how he provides for you. See, these people forgot all that and had a tendency to, to just neglect everything that God had done. See, I, I like that song by Todd Tribbett. Like, if he did it before, he can do it again. Same God right now. It's the same God back then. See, our, our God doesn't change. And sometimes you have to take your eyes from off of you and off of your situation and off of your trial, and you've got to lift your eyes to the hills from which cometh my help. And you've got to put them on Jesus. And it's, it's a fight. It's a fight to worship God and to remember his goodness when things aren't going well now. But, but you've, you've got to settle in your hearts that come hella high water, you're going to worship him. You, you got to settle in your heart that you won't let your, your, your momentary, short-term afflictions define the character of God. God always provides. Number three, prefer God's presence over anything else. Prefer God's presence over anything else. In, in Exodus 17, 7, it says this. It says, the Israelites tested the Lord saying, is the Lord among us or not? This only a couple chapters after he splits the Red Sea. He splits the Red Sea, you talk a couple chapters later, probably a few days later. And is the Lord with us? Where God at? Mind you, God was still there in the form of a cloud by day and fire by night. But the issue was they wanted some stuff. They wanted to keep moving. 
They wanted to get to their destination. They wanted comfort. They wanted ease. They wanted, they wanted to be taken care of. Like they didn't want to have to go through the wilderness. And because God wasn't answering their prayers the way they wanted God to answer their prayers, they said, God's not with us. And because God's not with us, I'm going to go back to the way I used to do things. They said, God ain't here. He done promised us this land. Where does milk and honey at? I don't see no milk and honey. See, for them, they, they thought that God wasn't present with them in the way they wanted him to be. So he, they thought he wasn't with them at all. See, their, their, prob, their main problem was they wanted comfort more than they wanted the presence of God. Right. Cursed be the day that we want what God has to offer rather than his presence. It's a sad day when you fight for something that God is telling you to wait on and you'd rather fight against him for that rather than just being with him. See, 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 Moses had a different sentiment. He said, my, the Lord said to Moses, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. And then Moses said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. He, I don't care where you plan on taking us. I don't care what you plan on giving me. If you don't come with me, I don't want nothing. He, he, he's, if I don't care what you want to give me, I don't care about the promise of the land. I don't care about no milk or honey. I don't care about fighting nobody. I don't care about the comfort. I don't care about the ease. I don't care about the fear. I don't care about the heartache. I don't care about the weakness. I don't care about the brokenness. I don't care about any of those things. God, I just want you with me. He said, if, if I can't feel you near, I don't want to go. I'll take the discomfort of the wilderness. I'll take not knowing where I'm going to go. I'll take the confusion. I'll take the, 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 the circumstance. I'll take all the difficulty in the world. But will you be with me? All I need to know. Will you be with me? People of God, I'm telling you today, it doesn't matter what you're going through. The, the, it's not going to be a good day when you try to escape the pain and escape the heartache at the expense of God not being present with you when you go. See, see, they, they wanted the land to be their comfort. They wanted the land to be their peace. They wanted their land to be their identity. They wanted the land to do something for them that only the presence of God could do. And he said, Moses said, I don't care what it is. If you're not with me, I don't want to go. The presence of God over everything. Number four, in these wandering seasons, just know that fear keeps us from entering the promise God is preparing us for. Fear keeps us from entering the promise God is preparing us for. Numbers 13 uh, says this. says, Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, We should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. But the men who had gone up with him said, We can't attack these people. They are stronger than we are. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we looked the same to them. See, when, when they got to the land that God had promised them to, he, 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 he led them, uh, it delivered them from out of slavery, out of bondage, and then God leads them 
through the wilderness and provides for them the entire time. Uh, and then they get to the, the precipice of what God has called them to, of where God has called them to. And they're about to enter into the rest that God has called them to. And, and, and they're about to enter into the promise that God has called them to. And they get to the foot of the land and they look over and they see some difficulties and they say, I can't go in there, I'm too scared. And so all of these years of depending on God's leadership, depending on God's provision, they get to the land and they say, you know what? Forget about God's dependence. Forget about God's leadership. Forget about God fighting for us. Even though we had to depend on God all those years, they, they thought in that moment of having to fight and fight for the land that they'd have to fight by themselves. And they lacked faith in God. They lacked trust in God. They made it through the wilderness. They made it through the difficulties. They endured the journey, and then they got to the foot of the promise, and they gave up. They got to the foot of the promise of God, and they gave up. See, see the, the Bible says, it says, in, in Numbers 14, God speaking, not one of them will ever see the land I promised. But because my servant Caleb has a different spirit and follows me wholeheartedly, I will bring him into the land he went to, and his descendants will inherit it. See, the, when, when God calls us to something, and he, he takes us and leads us through a wilderness journey, and, 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 and we've been formed, and we've been shaped, and we've been nurtured and matured, um, if you don't follow through and finish what God's called you to, don't be mistaken to believe that what God's called you to is always going to be on the table. He promised them the land, and they got to the foot of the land, and they lacked faith, and they lacked obedience, and God took the land from them. He said, none of y'all are getting in. He said, you don't trust me. After all we've been through in the wilderness... After all I've showed you, after all I've taught you, after all we've walked through, after all the powers and after all the providing, we get to what I told you I was going to bring to you, and you lack faith and you lack obedience, you can't have it. See, he was, he was preparing them for something. That, that, that wilderness journey, that, that isolation of just them and God, the difficulties of the journey, he, he was preparing them for something that was purposeful. He wanted them to be built up in their character. He wanted to renew their minds. He wanted to teach them about who he was and what his expectations were and how they could, as his people, represent him well. And he didn't take them on the short route because they weren't ready to represent him well. And so he took some time to form them in their character, and then he was getting ready to release them to represent him well, and they couldn't do it. They couldn't finish the job. See, see, a, a critical part of the, 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 of the wilderness is your formation in Christ. Don't, don't miss this. If you don't see those wilderness seasons as purposeful, you'll miss the formation that God's trying to do in your life. You'll miss out on it. And then you'll wonder why you keep going into cyclical wilderness journeys. Why am I back here again? Because you didn't learn what I wanted you to learn the first time. And you get so frustrated with the wilderness that you miss what God is trying to do in you so that you can accomplish the very thing he's called you to. Some, some of the greatest, greatest leaders in the Bible went through wilderness journeys. Moses. Spent 40 years with the complaining people in the wilderness. A great leader. David spent years fleeing from the hand of Saul in the wilderness. Crying out to the Lord. Asking why. Asking when. Great leader. Elijah fleeing the hand of Jezebel and Ahab. To the point where he wanted to die. But the Lord used him. And what about the Christ, the God of heaven and earth, 
who was sent down and wrapped himself in flesh. Matthew chapter 4 says, the Holy Spirit led him to be tempted in the wilderness. God who formed the wilderness went into it to be tempted. Hebrews 5 said that he had to learn obedience through what he suffered. Some could say that the next 33 years of his life were spent in the wilderness as he subjected himself to the authority of God and the power of God and he had to depend on God every single year of his life on earth. The God-man humbled himself and, and, and put his authority and his power and, and cloaked his deity in such a way that he relied on the power of God. Some could say that for 33 years, God walked among men in the wilderness, depending on God, learning what it meant to obey. And then he went to a cross and experienced the wilderness of being separated from God as he took on sin and death for our behalf. And then he died an ugly death. But, but the beauty is that he, on that third day he got up with all power in his hand. And God gave him a name above every name because he understood the nature and the purpose of wandering in the wilderness and depending on God. What does it say that God was willing to go through the wilderness and learn? What does it say to us? Will, be, will we be a complaining people? Will we mess out on the grace of God that, that is those transforming years of our life? Or will we, will we fight through and press through to get to know the character of God to get to know the heart of God. So when he gets us to where he, he's called us to, we're ready for whatever it is that we've so been transformed by the word of God that when he calls us to the land, we're ready to receive it. Just keep it in mind, the wilderness, when you get there, the question isn't how do I get out? The question is, what do I get out of it? God wants us as a people, wholly set apart for him. And the wilderness is how we get there. Let's pray. Father, we're so grateful for your word today, um, that it's a word of encouragement. Uh, it's a word of endurance, um, that you uh, use uh, trials and difficulties and circumstances to form us and shape us in the image of your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. God, I pray we don't miss out on that. I pray we don't miss out on that and we just see it as, as something that we don't need to go through or, or, or something that we're too spiritual for or something that uh, we shouldn't get because we're too mature in Jesus. God, I pray we don't miss out on those moments where we can grow in our character and where we can grow in our understanding of who you are and what you've called us to. And so, God, I pray for this people here today um, that they would learn every single thing that, that you want them to learn as you take them through seasons of difficulty and that they would know uh, that even more than having you present with them in, in, in the cloud of uh, a, a pillar of cloud and, and, and fire that you've given us your Holy Spirit to lead and guide us from within. Uh, and he's daily with us, God, instructing us and teaching us uh, in every way. Uh, so, God, we just pray that. Uh, in the name of your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, bless us, God, uh, to submit ourselves to you wholly unto the Lord in every way of our lives so that you can get glory from it uh, and, and that the nations might see how wonderful and powerful you are. And so we just pray that in the name of your son, the Lord Jesus Christ.